0: in a series called Running with the Giants. Running with the Giants. How many of y'all have loved this series so far? I have thought it's amazing. And uh, if you haven't been with us for it, uh, you can catch our messages on our podcast online. But basically what we have been talking about is if we were to run with people of faith, what would they say? The people that have gone before us, the Elijahs, the Noahs, the Abrahams, if they could come down and, and run life with us, do life with us, Brad, what would be the advice that they would give to us? So let's read our scripture, which is our scripture for our whole series. And I'm gonna read it in the Amplified Translation because we all know that is the Bible that Jesus reads. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says this, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily and deftly, cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence The appointed race, a course and race that is set before us. Can I pray with you this morning before we get started? Jesus, I just declare that this is a God appointed word at a God appointed time. Father, I thank you that every heart be softened, every ear be open. Father, I just declare that every life will be changed, that no one will leave the same. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen, amen. You know, as I said, we went to um, Dry Gulch Kids Camp, and I went with Miss Darla, and we had a lot of fun. And while we were there, I was unpacking my things and, you know, doing all my stuff. And um, I must start this with, I'm a diva runner. I, I love to run. I love to run when it's like 50 degrees to 75 degrees. Um, I don't like any rain, and I don't like to run if there's puddles because uh, I don't like mud on my shoes. Jim's laughing at me because he knows I'm telling the truth. And if it's over 70% humidity, I'm really not a fan. If you have to wear gloves or any kind of warming gear, I'm out. Um, I don't like freezing cold. And so I'm a diva runner. I'm not a real committed runner. Um, I just kind of like the idea of running when it's nice. And so I'm unpacking my things. And most runners, like, have this way of attracting each other across the room. You can find a runner in a room no matter where you are and so there I am I'm unpacking my things I'm like well gotta put up my running stuff for later you know like so braggadocious like and this girl across the room she goes you're a runner I'm a runner too she said but I've never run with people before and I thought well where do you live that you don't run with people like what are you running with and uh, she goes I usually run with my dog so I'm like thinking like a little Pomeranian Or like a chihuahua, you know. I'm like, oh, that's cute. She runs with her dog. And so I ask, what kind of dog do you have? And she said, a great dane. And I'm like, oh. That's nice. And I said, so um, yeah, I said, well, we should run together this week. She goes, Oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love to run with somebody. I've never done that before. I was like, okay, and she goes, so what kind of pace are you running? You ready for this? And I said, so what kind of pace are you running? Just kind of seeing how fast she runs a mile. She goes, oh, I run at eight thirty. For those of you that don't run, that is very fast. That is very very fast. And so she looks at me and she goes, what's your what's your pace? I was like, oh, you know, the other day I ran a nine, you know, for like three seconds, but I didn't tell her that part. I was just like, you know, yeah, I've run a nine before, you know, whatever. And then I died. And, uh, but I was like, she goes, oh, it's going to be so fun. Well, now I'm terrified because I'm going to run with her the next morning. So I do what every smart person does when they're intimidated by their enemy, who is the woman. And uh, I, d- I pretend like I'm asleep the next morning didn't work she comes over beside me and like gets down she's like hey are we gonna go running together this morning I'm like crap she found my bed <laughs> she was like two beds away from me you know it was real hard to find me and I was like yes so we get out and we're running she's already ahead of me having to wait and so I catch up with her and I'm like oh this is fun okay I'm ready to go back to bed now <laughs> I want to die so I'm running and she goes you know what would be really fun Let's go charge the hill. Now, just to preface, to give you like a little setup for this, the hill is not a hill. It's like a baby mountain. This thing is so big, it's not even funny. Me and Miss Darla tried to walk it, and I laid out on the ground, and she dragged me the rest of the way up when we were walking. And she goes, yeah, let's go charge the hill. That'll be so much fun. And I'm like, no, that's not fun. That's how you die. You don't run the hill? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go run the hill. So we're going down. Down was great. I actually kept up with her the whole way down. Like, we're together. I'm like, man, I'm unstoppable. God before me who can be against me look at me oh yeah I'm a real runner and then we started going up and I saw Jesus seated at the right hand of the father <laughs> But what do you do when you're full of pride and you don't want to quit? You just keep going, right? You're like, it's okay. I can die later. I'm just going to keep up with her right now. And so we're keeping up. And she goes, you want to do it again when we get to the top? I was like, do it again? Who would ever want to do that ever again? She goes, don't worry. By the end of the week, you'll be doing it like a pro. And I'm like, no, I won't. I will not because this is my last time I'm ever running with you again. So... I'm like, I actually hate you right now. I don't like you at all. I'm gonna request to move rooms just so you won't wake me up to run with you. I'm um, change my address and everything. And uh, so we're running and I'm I'm like through my exasperated, you know, when you're really running and you're running with somebody who's faster than you, Jim, this is the trick. You just keep asking them questions so they have to talk and you don't have to talk because you can barely breathe. And so I'm asking her questions. I'm like, so how many, how many times a week do you run? And she goes, oh, I run three days a week and when I'm not running I lift weights for an hour hour and a half to the, at the gym I was like oh she said what do you do I said I mean I run like when it's nice like 50 degrees to 75 no rain no puddles uh, the humidity has got to be less than 70 percent and I do push-ups for one minute every day it's my one minute challenge have you ever heard of it it's awesome it's really amazing and she was very not impressed and uh she left me dying somewhere in the train yard. And um, yeah, I crawled my way back to camp. <laughs> and anyways, and then I called Brian and I was telling him about this awful run and this girl. I'm like, babe, she's like part animal. I don't know what she is. I'm like, I'm honestly looking in the lake right now because I expect for her to come out of the water and have caught a fish with her bare hands and just bite the head off. I mean, the woman is like, I'm like, what do you do? She's just back there eating raw meat for breakfast, you know? I mean, the woman is like part beast, you know, and I'm telling him, I'm like, I just don't get it, I'm not even a runner, babe, I'm not good, I stink, I need to quit, I need to never run again, and he's like, Crystal, he's like, anything she does, you can do too, and I'm like, yeah, right, he goes, no, the question is, do you want to do what she did to get what she got? And I was like, oh, man. You know, I love this in Hebrews 12.1. Let's put that back there up on the screen real quick. It says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who is born borne testimony to the truth. I love that part. Born testimony to the truth. It tells us this. I love, today we're going to be looking at the story of David, and I think a lot of times what this whole running with the giant series is amazing is because of this. Is it lets us know this one thing: is that if they can do it, we can do it too. We can have anything that the greats have had. It's so the only question is, is are we willing to do what they did to get what they got? You know, David did great things in his lifetime, but it wasn't because he was any different than you. I think a lot of times we make excuses for ourselves to make us feel okay with our complacent lifestyle. And we go, yeah, well, if I lived in Jesus' time, then I would be a lot better. Oh, yeah, well, David, that's different. Oh, yeah, Elijah, of course. But I want to challenge you in this is that Jesus says, Greater things shall you do if you believe. And so here's the thing, is that greater things than Jesus, so that means if you look through any miracle in the Bible, that means all those are available to you and so much more. David was spectacular not because he was spectacular, but because he chose to believe God, to go after God with all of his heart. So we're going to look at him for a little while this morning. And I want to challenge you in this. So David goes forward, and I love the story how Samuel comes into the house, and he lets Jesse know, hey, I'm about to anoint one of your sons as king. And Jesse brings in all of his sons. And Jesse, uh, here Samuel is. He's going, the prophet's going through to see which one's going to be the king. And he turns to the father, Jesse, and he says, is there any other sons in your household? And he says, yeah, there's one other one, David. And so he sends for David. They go get David out of the sheep field and bring him back into the house. And we all know the story. He anoints David with oil. And then I think this is compelling because David didn't then have a big parade and go up to the palace, you know, like Cinderella at the end of the movie where she rides off in the big pumpkin-like chariot. They didn't have like a Mickey Mouse parade where they're throwing candy and they're streamers and it's amazing. No, he went right back to life as usual. He got anointed king and then he got sent back to the field. And I think what we can find from this is our first thing is that process always precedes God's promise. Process will always precede God's promise. In Psalms verse 5, I think this is a great verse. It says this, Every morning you'll hear me at it again. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar. Isn't that so good? David was writing this, and I like to picture him as a little wavering and cracking voice uh, boy somewhere out in a sheep field. I like to picture him somewhere between boyhood and manhood, and he's to the accompaniment of a little harp playing out with sheep. Surely, the very sounds of the strings summoned the, the attention of many strange sheep, and the words that he wrote still draw many sheep, many people in places of worship. It's inspired songwriters, it's inspired authors, the words that he wrote out in a field. If he would have let himself get discouraged, gotten down, man, you know, I thought I was anointed king, and here I am just out here keeping sheep. But David understood that process always precedes the promise. I want to encourage you this morning, if you find yourself in a place where it looks like it's opposite of what you thought it would be. You thought, gosh, God, you promised me that I was going to be wealthy, that I was going to have more than enough. But here I am, and I feel like all I am is surrounded by lack, by uh, bad news, by hard times. I want to encourage you that process always precedes God's promise. God will always declare something, and it'll look like you are actually living the opposite of it. I'll give you an example. He'll declare over you that you're healthy, and yet you just got diagnosed with a sickness. He'll declare over you that you're going to have a strong marriage, but yet it feels like your marriage is just days away from falling apart. He'll declare over you that all your households today, that the process always precedes the promise. David was willing. I love this. He says, every morning. In other words, I can tell you this. I can see where your life is going by your daily routine. There is no drive-through breakthroughs in the kingdom. I was talking to somebody before, and they go, oh, yeah, well, I've tried this, and I've tried that, and I've tried this. Hey, it's great to try a whole lot of things, but why don't we pick one thing and really stick to it? Come on, somebody. I remember my grandpa, he worked at the same place all his life from the start in his 20s when he left the service all the way through till he retired at the age of 70. That's a big deal. Nowadays, we try a job for a few years and then we move to the next job and try it and then we try this and we try that. Lord, we change our degrees so many times, we'll never uh, finish college. We're just professional students, come on somebody. Um, But why not, he says every morning. In other words, he was consistently consistent. What if you got consistently consistent? What if you decided, you know what, I'm going to go after this one thing, and I'm going to do it every day. David didn't let his circumstance tell him what was going to happen. He didn't let what was happening around him. He didn't let what his heart felt. He went after God. He said, every morning you're going to find me at the same place. I can tell where you're going to be 10 years from now what your daily routine looks like. The greatest thing you can do is begin to prepare yourself. Oh, come on, somebody. The greatest thing you can do is begin to prepare yourself. I hear women all the time, I'm just waiting for the perfect man to show up. Can I just challenge you? Are you making yourself the perfect girl? One of my favorite stories uh, Joyce Meyer told, she said that a mom came. I hear this girl is, and she's out, and she's going through school, and she's off to college, and she's partying. She's living a crazy lifestyle, doing all the wrong things, and she comes home one day for Christmas break. And she says, Mom, I found the cutest guy at school. He loves Jesus. He's going after God. He goes to church. He serves in his church. He's amazing. And she's going on and on about him. And after she got done, the mom looked across the table at her. And she said, the sad part, honey, is you're not the girl he's looking for. Maybe the problem isn't that it hasn't found you. Maybe it's found you. But you didn't go through the process to prepare yourself to be ready. See, David understood that the sheep field was just as important as the palace. See, let me just challenge you. I feel this in this place. You know, if you're a true leader, you can lead without a title. Come on, somebody. If you're a true leader, you can lead without a title. I can tell who a real leader is because they come in and they start leading. They start loving. They start encouraging. If you're waiting for a platform, you will never have it. David said, okay, I'm anointed king, but just because I'm king doesn't mean I'm not too too good for sheep. He knew that if he was good enough for a palace, he was good enough for sheep. He was good enough for any task that came his way, and he used the sheep field as a place of preparing him for the palace. Are you using the season you're in to its fullest potential, or are you taking it as, I'm just biding my time till I get the promotion. I'm just biding my time till we have kids. I'm just biding my time till I get married. Why don't you start improving yourself, and you'll see your whole world began to improve. David didn't take for granted the sheep field. He wrote the most powerful psalms in a solitude place. He wrote the most powerful psalms in places that nobody else would have seen him, but God saw him, and now they inspire so many. It's words that we read in the Bible today that have inspired many. What are going to come out of your hidden season? Did you use this season to its fullest potential? Because one day your opportunity is going to arrive, and I've got a question for you. Are you going to be ready for it? Are you going to be ready for it? One of the best things that I did um, about 12 years ago, I just decided that my car was going to be a place where I learned the word of God. And uh, I had tapes. Come on, somebody. Anybody know tapes? Hey. And uh, I would put in a message from my senior pastor, Pastor Terry Sparks, and I would listen to it until I could preach every word right alongside him. I would listen to it over and over until I could repeat it. Until I could drive down the road and speak it with him, I would not take it out of the cassette player. I would just listen to it over and over and over. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Think about this, if you turned your car into a college and you began to teach yourself the word of God by listening through inspiring teaching and listening to podcasts, if you want to be a senior level executive, I want to ask you a question, what was the last leadership book you have read? See, a lot of times I think we think God's going to give us drive-through breakthroughs promise with no work. God wants us to start improving ourselves so then that way when it comes up, we're ready for it. We know the story, here David is, he's about to stand before Saul. The battle's happening, he's about to go up against Goliath and Saul looks at him and he says, what do you think that you can do? This giant is huge. And he says, "Uh, surely the God who was with me when I defeated the lion and the bear is gonna be with me here also. I wanna challenge you, do you have any victories for your faith to be built on? Or have you just been wasting your time? Ever hear, people, we're just killing time till, don't kill time. Start improving yourself so you can get ready right now. Amen? I want to be ready when God opens that door. That's why David was able to run towards the battle line instead of running away from it. No season is ever wasted with God. Number two, no season is ever wasted with God. Here it is in 1 Samuel 17, 17 through 18. It says, And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to your brothers at the camp. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See how your brothers fare and bring back some token from them. Okay, I want you to really think about this. Here's David. He's been anointed king, right? He's been out in the sheep field for years now. And now here's the battle that's happening. All of them are down on the front lines, and David is in a sheep field. His dad decides that David needs to now be a delivery boy. Okay, think about this. His brothers are warriors. His dad doesn't say, hey, go out there and help your brothers. Go fight. He didn't even see him as warrior potential. He goes, hey, I want you to deliver the first grilled cheese. (laughs) I mean, bread and cheese, that's all he wanted in this sin. And he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, send back something from them to me because I want to know that they're okay. I I want you to think about this, that David could have gotten really offended. He could have gotten really sour. I can't believe that he doesn't see the potential in me. Doesn't he know that I'm a king? Here I am. I've been keeping his sheep. I've been taking care of his land, and now I'm his little delivery boy. But David understood this, that he treated every assignment as a kingdom appointment. He, tried, he treated every assignment as a kingdom appointment. What if you went through your day like today's the day something's going to happen? What if you went through your day as today's the day I'm going to get that promotion? What if you went in your day and you thought, today's the day I'm going to meet that right person? Every day is full of potential if you'll treat it in the right way. You know, one of my favorite stories is of of Christine Kane. She was on staff with Hillsong Church, and Christine Kane just loved Joyce Meyer. How many of you know Joyce Meyer? Anybody know Joyce Meyer? She is an awesome teacher of God's Word, uh, no doubt has a phenomenal ministry that has reached millions of people uh, for Jesus. And she loved Joyce. Joyce Meyer had read all her books, had listened to all of her teaching on VHS. Come on somebody, hey. And uh, she loved Joyce Meyer and uh, she found out, Brian Houston in a staff meeting let them know, hey Joyce Meyer's coming to our church in a few months. Well, Christine Kane was so excited and she thought, man, I would love to be the one to drive her from the airport to her hotel and then to drive her to the church and back while she's here. And so she just decided as an act of faith, she was going to start cleaning her car and getting it ready for when Joyce Meyer came to town. Every day, she took it through the car wash, made sure it was just right. She'd vacuum it out and let a speck of trash be in there. She requested for days off from her part-time job just to make sure that she would have time off when Joyce got into town. Here it was, days out. Staff, other staff, uh, pastoral staff was supposed to go pick her up. So it looked like there was no way that Christine was going to pick up Joyce Meyer. And then it was just the day before uh, Mama Joyce was supposed to be there, and Brian Houston calls Christine Kane, and he said the associate pastor that was supposed to pick up Joyce Meyer has fallen really ill. He she got the, <laughs> the dry gulch plague, <laughs> and, uh, but for real. And uh, he said, so do you mind picking her up? And she said, absolutely, I would love to pick her up. And she said, in fact, my car's been clean, and I've already asked for the days off, so I'm ready to go. I want to ask you a question. If your opportunity showed up, would you be ready for it? Christine, it's it's one thing to believe God for something. I heard somebody the other day, well, I'm believing God for uh, to save $100,000. Okay, well, that's great. How much are you saving now? Nothing. Okay, well, you're not on a real good start. <laughs> you can wish in one hand. Never mind. And... Uh, <laughs> but it's what you're doing right now. It's not treating any task as menial. It's treating everything like it's a kingdom assignment. It's one thing to believe for it, but it's another thing to begin to act like it's going to happen now. You know, in that time that Christine Kane drove Joyce Meyer that week, uh, Joyce Meyer got to know Christine Kane better, and she said, you know what? I'm going to begin to open up your platform. I'm going to open up the world for you, and that began Christine Kane's worldwide ministry, which is now the A21 campaign, and she's reaching women all over the She just started Propel Women's Ministry, doing great things. Your next opportunity could be that close. Are you ready for it? What have you done? You're you're believing God for promotion. What are you doing to improve yourself right now? Never take any assignment as small. It could be a God setup. You know, I worked at Sonic while me and Brian uh, went through college I don't know how I did it. We worked long hours. We worked really hard to get each other through school. And while we were there, I was there at Sonic. I love to memorize people's orders. I mean, you're making burgers and limeades, you know. You've got to make something interesting. And so I would memorize people's orders for fun. And there was always this guy that parked on stall 24, and he liked a cherry limeade, a large cherry limeade with one extra cherry, and he liked it with extra lime. And then he wanted a cheeseburger with no onions, and then he liked his cheese tater tots with onions, and I would he, I would see him pull up. I memorized his car, and so right when he'd pull up, I'd just come on the speaker and I'd say, "Hey, David, great to see you today. Do you want the usual?" And He'd say, "I sure do. Thank you, Crystal." And how do you know David tipped me really good? <laughs> Because he loved that I treated him like he was special. I didn't know that David was about to be the president of a new bank coming there to Sulphur Springs. And whenever they got ready, they met with the owner of the bank, and they were talking about who they wanted to hire. And David piped up in the meeting, and he said, I know exactly who I want to hire. It's a car hop at Sonic and she is amazing. And, and he came up one day and he said, hey, Crystal, I know you're working, but I just want to give you an opportunity and see if you'd be interested. You know, that, that job that I took doubled my salary. And, but here's the thing is if I would have treated that season as small, if I would have treated that season of I'm just serving up burgers, this is no big deal, who even cares, then I would have missed the opportunity that God has for me. Some of you, the problem isn't that God's waiting, uh, you're waiting on God, but God's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to start really taking advantage of this moment that you're in right now. What if you walked into work like something good is going to happen to me today? What if you began to treat your kids like something good is going to happen with them today? If we we began to make the most of everything and every opportunity. I think we'd be amazed at what God does. Amen. All right, the last and final thing I want to tell you is this. Is that you may have been rejected and overlooked by man, but you are never overlooked by God. You know, David went through a lot. Just here in this chapter, we see so many so much rejection that no doubt that it would make any of us completely put out. First of all, his dad didn't think that he was king material, nor did he think he was even warrior material. We just talked about how he didn't select him to even be brought in before the prophet to see if he could be king. And then we see that when it was time for battle, he didn't even choose David to fight, but he just chose him to be a delivery boy. The next person that rejected him is this. His brothers thought he was just a shepherd boy. We see this in 1 Samuel 17, 28. It says this, his brothers, I'm sorry, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard that he had said to the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and your evilness of heart, for you have come down that you might see the battle. Let's pause here. Just leave that up for one second. Okay, I want you to see two things in this scripture. Here his brothers are. Just a little backstory. Eliab was the oldest brother. The oldest brother should have been the rightful one to get the king position. But Eliab got bypassed for who? David. So do you think Eliab was a little bitter at David? Yes. So here comes David out as the, as the shepherd boy, and he's bringing, he's now a delivery boy, and he's saying, Who, who have you left those? Few sheep in the wilderness with. So what he's saying here is he's making small of David's assignment. Let me just challenge you that the enemy will always try to make the season you're in look really small. He'll be like, oh, you're just a mom. What do you think you're doing? You're just a mom. You can't make a difference. You're just a student. You're not really going to make a difference. You're just a trainer. He's always going to make your current season look menial and small. Because if he can make you see it as small, you'll never become great. You'll never take full advantage of. So here he is. Well, who's you left those few shifts? And then leave that back up again one more time. And he says, and I know your presumption and your evilness of heart. What is David known as in the Bible? He's known as a man after God's own heart, right? The enemy knows what you're anointed to do. He knows the assignment on your life. And so sometimes the words that are spoken against you are to take that anointing from you. It's to take that destiny from you. So when somebody comes in, if I had a bucket full of all the people who have said awful things to me, the, buck would be, the bucket would be full and overflowing. But it's this. It's the enemy coming in and trying to attack the gift of God that's on you. He's right there in two lines. He's assaulting everything that David was sent to do. Don't be discouraged when people start hating on you be encouraged because that means you're close to the victory if people aren't hating on you I question if you're on the right camp (laughs) I question if you're not on the enemy's team because when you really start doing things for God sometimes it's going to seem like all hell is coming loose here David just got rejection from his father when he left home he gets to his brothers and he's being rejected again and now here's the final thing he's now about to get rejected by Saul in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty-eight through 39, in the Amplified, it says this, Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with a cloak of mail. And David girded his sword over his armor. And then he tried to go, but he could not, for he was not used to it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I am not used to them. And David took them off. See, here Saul is. He's like, okay, David, you, you want to do this. You want to go up against Goliath. Okay, I understand that you think you're strong, but wear what I wear when I go to battle. So he takes all this time to dress David in his armor and his stuff, gives him his sword. And I just find this so amazing. And then David, he, he doesn't go out in it. He says, no, I can't wear this. I'm not used to it. Let me break it down like this. There's going to be people in your life that think the only way you can win is to do it like somebody else. There's going to be people in your life that's always going to tell you, but you don't sing good enough. You're not, I've heard that a lot. Um, You know, uh, you're not tall enough. You're not, you're too short. You're too tall. You're too heavy. You're too this. You're too that. Why aren't you more like this? Why aren't you more like your sister? Why aren't you more like your brother? You can never make it. You're not educated enough. You're from the wrong neighborhood. There's no way that you can make it. Don't you know that you're from a divorced home? Don't you know that all the odds are against you? And they try to tell you that you have to do it like everybody else did to get the win. And let me just challenge you that God's not looking for you to be a copy of anybody else. Else. He wants you to go out as the original that he made you to be. And if he put the dream in your heart, he wouldn't put a dream in your heart to taunt you with it. He put it in your heart for you to run after it with everything you have. Don't spend all your time trying to dress like somebody else, to be like somebody else, to do it. You run your race. Put uh, put Hebrews 12, 1 up there one more time. It says this. It says that we're, therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and it goes through and it says, and let us run pay with patience. Patient endurance and steady and active uh, persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before us. In other words, you have a race that only you can run. Nobody else can do it like you. Moms, nobody can mom that kid like you. Nobody else. When you have dropped that baby off at daycare, don't be sad that somebody else is loving them. You're still their mama. They know who their mama is, and nobody can love them like you. There's nobody who can run that company like, like you. There's nobody who can love that wife like you. This is your course. It's your race. Quit trying to be intimidated by everybody else around you telling how it should look, how it should be. I want to challenge you that real victory is going to come in your life when you take off what Saul's putting on you. I feel like some of us have been so burdened down. Well, I can't sing like Candace, so I can never be on the platform. I don't want you to sing like Candace. I want you to sing like you. I can't preach like Pastor Brian, so I could never preach to my high school. Come on, I want you to preach like you. I'm not looking for 10 preachers like Brian. I can't do it like, you know, we're not looking for a copy. We're looking for you to be you. Let's run the race that is set before us. I think this story would have been so different if David would have said, okay, you know, my dad didn't think I was warrior potential. My brothers don't think I'm really a good shepherd because I left my sheep. So I'm not even a good enough king. I'm not good enough to be a warrior. My brothers don't even think I'm good enough for the job I'm currently doing. And Saul doesn't think I'm good enough to go out on my own. And if you would have got out there and Saul's stuff, how many of you guys know this story would have ended in failure? I think a lot of us are gonna be sad when we get to heaven and we see all that could have been if we would have just stripped off all that stuff and began to run our race. Nobody can do it like you. You be you, boo-boo. Just be you, be you. There's a pastor's wife I love. She, she goes, my voice is so squeaky and I never preached because of that because I have a real high-pitched squeaky voice and she does, she does have a squeaky voice. And I, but I love it. And now she's ministering to thousands of women And her voice is setting people free with what God wants to do. Quit letting the enemy tell you that you can't do it like you. God called you. David got up there and he did it his way. He didn't do it with a sword. He didn't do it Saul's way. He didn't do it dad's way. He didn't do it his brother's way. He did it his way. And he saw a great victory that day. I want to challenge you in this place. I think our greatest victories are about to come if we can go through the process if we can never take an assignment as small or menial, but we treat every assignment as though it was a kingdom appointment. And if we begin to shake all those haters off, if we just begin to be us, just be you. When we were about to start the church, it was funny. We were talking to a guy and he said, so what are you gonna do? You're gonna start a church? And we said, yeah. And he said, well, how are you gonna grow it? And I was like, I don't know, you tell me. I don't, I don't know, you're a pastor. And he said, well, this is what you need to do. You need to change the way you dress because you can't dress like that and pastor a church and it's got to be like this and you got to look like this and I thought well that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard I've never seen somebody tweet after a church service I went to that church because of the pastor's shoes never happens right and I told him I said that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard I said we're gonna grow our church on love and he goes that's stupid nobody will come And I said, no, that's what we're going to do. We're going to love people into the kingdom. And the other day uh, I told him, I said, it looks like love's working, isn't it? (laughs) Looks like love's working pretty good. Here's the thing is if I would have bought into that lie, I would have run his race and not run mine. Run your race. Do what you do and do it well.